Lord, we look to you to teach us this morning. We ask that you would open your word and teach us how to really love you and how to really rely on you. We ask you to open your word this morning. Amen. Well, you probably know the books of the New Testament. Um, it's not in chronological order, right? So uh, the first book, as you flip through, is Matthews. And you know that wasn't the first book written. In fact, the first book written was James, tucked right at the back of uh, the New Testament, around A.D. 40. And then you have, I mean, you have four Gospels, all painting the life of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. And there's perfect harmony. Okay, I mean, there's absolutely no contradiction when you flip through the various Gospels, knowing that they were written at different times by different people of different backgrounds. I mean, two of them were disciples. One was a tax collector and the other a fisherman of the two disciples. One was uh, like a student of Peter, Mark. And then you have a doctor who wrote uh, uh, Luke. And these were written by different people, primarily to a different audience. So Matthew predominantly for the Jews. If you look at John, predominantly for the new Christians and people who were actually questioning to become a Christian. So it's a wonderful collection of four books looking at four angles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they basically add to each other and there's absolutely no contradiction. And John, the book of John was written last, around A.D. 85. And A.D. 85 would mean that it was after the fall of Jerusalem. So there was that big event after the fall of Jerusalem. And very likely after Peter was martyred. And you get that clue from the passage that was read today. Because it talks about how Peter was to die or had died. Since John wrote this book last, he probably had the opportunity to look at the other manuscripts. We don't know that. You can assume that, I guess. So he had absolutely no need to write about the birth of Christ. So you don't see the manger scene or wise men or anything in the book of John. Instead, he starts his book with an absolutely marvelous verse. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, referring to Jesus. There couldn't be a you know, more stronger statement to begin a book and talking about Jesus as God. Do you know that John doesn't even mention one parable? That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Jesus spoke about so many parables to bring across a particular uh, message and there's no parables written and there's also paucity of the miracles 
John talks about eight miracles in his uh, book. And interestingly, six of those don't appear in the other books. So water into wine. I mean, we all know about that, okay? And that's only found in John. Raising of Lazarus, a huge miracle, only in John. And this miracle in John 21 is also only mentioned in John. So it's a lovely way to study the book of John. And for the trivia buffs, it also has the shortest verse in the Bible. Do you know which one that is? Well done, Jesus wept, John 11.35. And if you look at the last two verses in chapter 20, let me read that out to you. I need to remove my specs because getting old, um, can't, can't see sometimes. Um, so these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he's telling us about Jesus being Christ. Jesus the Son of God, and you believe in him, and you have life. And that's the message of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in his name should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the message of John. And when you look at these two verses in chapter 20, they look like concluding verses, don't they? You know, this is what you would write if you were to finish something. He's saying, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So this very much was almost like the conclusion. But before John could rest his pen and say, I've done, he just has had to write about this in John 21. It's like a postscript. So before he puts the pen down, one last message for everyone to read. And this was the last miracle of Christ before his ascension. And this was about Peter's recommissioning. Why? There's a very, very important lesson in it for John and his disciples and for us as his modern day followers. So let's pick up this story in John 21. We read about seven disciples. And they are by the Sea of Tiberias. Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. So he talks about Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and the sons of De Zebedee. That's himself and his brother James. And these five were Galileans. And they were all fishermen. Okay, And for some reason, he doesn't talk about the other two. Many believe that it was Andrew and Philip. And if that was the case, they too were Galileans, and they too were fishermen. And their initial call, friends, was, follow me because I will make you fishers of men, right? And here are seven of them, all fishermen, all Galileans, by a sea that they knew very well, Sea of Galilee. And these seven fellows had been through an amazing journey in the last seven to ten days. An absolute emotional roller coaster. 
I mean, as we mentioned with that song, they went with Jesus triumphantly as people were singing out Hosanna. They were on a high. There was a lot of praise coming their way. There was a lot of respect coming their way. Few days later, absolute anguish at the Garden of Gethsemane. Then they see one of their mates betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they see their Lord being beaten, absolutely ridiculed and crucified. And then there's anguish again. They see an empty tomb. Where is he? Who has taken him? The Bible in, in John talks about them all being huddled up in a room, in an upstairs room, afraid for their lives when the risen Lord comes and stands amongst them and say, Peace be with you. An absolute mountaintop experience at that, that point. Can you just imagine what's going through their mind? And poor Peter even had a rougher time. Okay, here was the man that was out there, brash, brave. And he denies Christ three times. And the book of Luke records it very poignantly. Okay, the third time he denies, the book of Luke says the Lord Jesus Christ looks at him. And Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. He feels an absolute failure. A defeated man, a broken man, an absolute failure. And he goes out and weeps bitterly. So here we have a weary bunch of disciples. I'm sure physically and emotionally really tired. And this bunch needed some time out, right? They all needed some time out. They all needed some R&R. And Peter tells them, I'm going out fishing. And rest of them say, yep, brilliant idea, me too. So they all pop into a boat and head off into the Sea of Galilee with their net because they're going to troll that night. Net fishing. Best time to fish? At night. So they're heading off at night. Do they know the territory? My word, they know the territory. Because this was Sea of Galilee. These are Galileans. Friends, these are people who could catch fish with their eyes closed. It's not like me throwing a line in and hoping for the best. Okay? These are people who could do the job. It's like a plumber coming to fix your leaking tap. Okay? The guy knows the job. That's why he's there. That's why you're paying him big money to be there. So this was going to be their perfect psychotherapy. Okay? Here they were a bunch of men in a boat with their mates just towing out. Fishing. Lovely psychotherapy. They tried all night. Hours go by. Nothing. Nothing in their net. Not even a little whiting. Absolutely nothing. So how do you think they were feeling at this point? Here was a tired and exhausted bunch feeling defeated, 
Do you think they were a tad frustrated? My word. Angry? I'm sure they were. If I was in that situation, I would have really wanted to tear my hair apart. Here you are, absolutely frustrated and down, and this is what you do best, return nothing. At this point, the Lord Jesus Christ meets them and teaches them an absolutely vital, important lesson. The dawn was breaking. They see a man on the beach. They don't recognize that this was Jesus. Look at verse 5. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Remember at this point, they did not recognize it was Jesus. Yet they were humble enough first to admit that they had caught nothing. Just picture this. Experienced fishermen. There's a bloke on, on the beach saying, Hey, have you caught any fish? You would like to sort of hide the fact, isn't it? You would love to say, oh, Go away. Or, you know, yeah, yeah, a couple here. Not many, but a couple. But they admitted. They admitted that they were at rock bottom. They were willing to admit that they caught nothing. But more importantly, they were also willing to listen and obey. Okay? They had put their net there, put their net here, everywhere, all night. And this guy at the beach says, pop it on the right side. And they go ahead and do it. They listen and obey. And at that point, when they were hauling all this fish in, they recognized that it was Jesus. And Jesus was teaching them an important lesson. Here Jesus was preparing them for the next phase in their lives. They were to be his witnesses. They were to organize this massive evangelical mission through which you and I became Christians eventually down, downstream. The world was going to be evangelized by these men. But before they could become fishers of men, which was their original calling, they had to learn how to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ. They had to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ. In their own strength, with their own plans, and when they purely relied on their own experiences, the yield was zero. When they humbled themselves, and when they listened and obeyed, and looked to the Lord Jesus Christ, the yield was plentiful. Large fish, 153 of them. The yield was abundant. Friends, just flick through to John 15 and 5. Very important lesson for them, the disciples, and very important lesson for us. This is speaking about the wine. I am the wine. You are the branches. 
If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Listen to this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is telling the disciples in this business of evangelizing, in this business of witnessing, in this business of going out and making a difference for Christ, without Christ you can do nothing. You want to bear much fruit? Need to be linked to Christ. Want to become fishers of men? Realize without Jesus they could do nothing. Friends, we are at a very important point in our church life. We had a vision statement five years ago and we've gone through a revisioning process. There are many plans ahead. All these plans are exciting plans. And when we look back at the last five, seven years, God has blessed us. God has blessed us in amazing ways. And our vision is to grow this church and glorify God. And we, like the disciples, need to know this morning that without Jesus, we can do nothing. Human effort alone, no good. Training programs, well-meaning committees sitting together and racking their brain, they all have their place. But the first message, rely on the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, there's a very reliable barometer if you want to test out whether you're relying on the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, that's a very reliable barometer. And I strongly believe in this. And that's your prayer life. If your prayer life is small and diminishing, your reliance on the Lord Jesus Christ is small and diminishing. If your prayer life is vibrant and inclusive and you're really scratching your legs, your reliance on the Lord Jesus Christ is meaningful and strong. We have all these plans for this church. One question, important question individually and as a group. Have you started praying about these individually? And have you started praying about this as a group? Friends, how is your prayer life this morning? How is your prayer life as a group? Extremely important as we look to serve him and move forward. This December, uh, my family and I, we revisited Sri Lanka. First time we went was after 30 years because of the various wars and whatever. And uh, we revisited uh, Sri Lanka this year. And I had the pleasure of meeting with uh, uh, the lead pastor of, uh, of my church, uh, those days. It was called the Christian Fellowship Center. It's a brethren's church led by a group of elders. They are life elders. So um, the lead pastor was, a, I mean, it's a good friend of mine. We had a long conversation. And interestingly, this church has planted 22 smaller churches in Sri Lanka. Okay, 22 smaller churches in Sri Lanka. They were not all massive churches. Okay? There were some churches that were only 20 people, but growing. And there were other churches that were like 200 people and growing. So he just looked at me and said, Brother, we kept praying. And the Lord opened new doors and new opportunities. 
And we are growing even more. And he's got plans for another five churches now in the north. What a wonderful message. I strongly believe that the third world countries where there's poverty, there's obvious weakness, lack of training, these people tap into the most powerful source of all, and that's the power of prayer. They look at the Lord Jesus Christ and say, now look here, we really want to expand this. You lead us, we will follow. And it happens. And the results are often remarkable. Let's go back to this passage. Verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net to shore. It was full of large fish, 153 But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. This passage, this segment, speaks about the scope of mission work. The catch was large and it was difficult to haul in. The Lord reminds us, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Remember, despite the large catch, the net wasn't broken. There's room for everyone. There's a room for every single person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. It will never exhaust itself. And there were 153 fish. I don't know what this number means. Some people have gone to the extent of saying that there are 153 species of fish in the sea, but, but then again there are many more, I think. But it just says that there are various species, various people. Okay, the short ones, the tall ones, the brown ones, the, the fairer ones, everyone in it. Okay? This group of fish wasn't just, you know, barramundis, they were everything. Whoever admits to their sin, and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ was in the net. The scope is limitless. We find in this text that Jesus had already prepared breakfast. He had fish and he had bread. And he invites these disciples to bring some of the fish they had caught. Jesus didn't need their fish, did they? He's already got them on the, on the barbie. Yet he invites them to bring their fish to this meal. Friends, let us really know this for a fact. Jesus doesn't really need us. He doesn't need the disciples' efforts or your effort or my effort to achieve his purposes. He's all-powerful. But yet he gives us the awesome privilege of joining with him in ministry and partnering with him in his work. What a privilege. What a privilege when in your boardroom you have the Lord Jesus Christ sitting there. But he gives us this awesome privilege. 
Friends, the Bible tells us that one day you and I will be part of a marvelous feast that Jesus will be hosting. The marriage feast of the Lamb. The church, His bride, will be presented to Him. Friends, our job as a Christian, the disciples' job as a Christian, is to bring as many fish as possible to this feast. To bring as many believers as possible to this feast. That is our job. And that's our privilege. So when they had finished eating, now Jesus turns his attention to Simon Peter. A fallen man. He's failed terribly. He looks at Simon and says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than this? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Three times he asks Simon. Peter denied Christ three times. Simon is asked to affirm his love and commitment for the Lord Jesus Christ three times. Publicly, in front of the other disciples. Note that Jesus calls him by his original name. Not the name that he had given, Peter, the rock. Because he was no longer the rock at that point. He had fallen. Simon, do you love me more than these? He asks. Do you love me more than your brother Andrew? Do you love me more than your wife, your children, your money, your wealth, your career, everything? Am I first in your life? He doesn't stop there. He says, if you love me, show me. What does he say? Go feed my sheep. Go feed my lamb. So no more empty words from Simon Peter. No more denying. No more running away. He had to put up. Show me. Feed my sheep. Feed my lamb. Same question for us this morning, brothers and sisters. Do you truly love me? Asked the Lord Jesus Christ. And if so, show me. And if so, show me. Is that really showing in our lives? Are we feeding his church? Are we really involved in his work of spreading the gospel. Loving Jesus means feeding the church. Loving Jesus means committing to the church. And it goes hand in hand. Loving Jesus is not a big secret. That others can't see. It's obvious. Everyone should be able to see. It should be palpable. Our witnessing words, deeds, comes from our love for our Lord Jesus Christ. We share him with others because we love him. For Peter, there was a heavy price to pay. And you read about that 
in the last two verses of our passage this morning. He was martyred. And from that point on, when Jesus confronted him on that beach, for Peter there was no turning back. Look at his ministry in the book of Acts. Marvelous ministry. What a ministry he had. 2,000 people saved. 3,000 people saved. Huge ministry. And at the very end of that passage, once the Lord Jesus Christ had fully restored Peter, he tells him, follow me. Follow me. And Peter followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, are we this morning ready to follow Jesus? Few questions to answer. Is Jesus really first in our lives? Very difficult, very difficult point to get to. If so, is it showing in our lives? Or is it like a big secret that we are trying to keep? And in all this, we also need to ask ourselves, are we willing to pay the price? Peter paid a price. For us, it may be time. It may be wealth. It may be ridicule. For some of us, it may be physical harm, emotional harm. In his name, are we willing to pay that price? Peter at this point was truly ready. But we need to ask ourselves this morning, as individuals and as a group, is are we ready? Are we ready to step forward and count for Christ? Amen. Thank you, Rohan, for that power.